at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Now get five years no interest plus five months no first payment. But only through December 31st. Set your free consultation today at PellaWI.com radio or call 855-PELLA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Think you had a bad day Monday? Let me tell you the story of Malik McDowell. Malik McDowell is perhaps was, a professional football player, played last for the Cleveland Browns. If you want to see the story, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at JeffWagner620. But you can see some of these photos of this. Um, there, one of Wagner's rules of life is that um, there is a reason why God made clothes. Actually, there's several reasons why God made clothes, and maybe you should give God his or her due in regard to wearing those clothes. So anyhow, Malik McDowell, um, he played, he, he was a second-round draft pick a couple years ago in the NFL. He played a defensive tackle for Michigan State, big guy, six foot six, 300 pounds, and his career has kind of been a train wreck since he got drafted. Seattle picked him top of the second round in the 2017 draft, signed a four-year, $7 million contract with all sorts of money guaranteed, but he kind of blew it because what happened is um, he ended up hurting himself while driving you know, an ATV. Then he was arrested for driving under the influence of alcohol, got put on probation, arrested again for disorderly conduct, was out of football for a while. So here's a guy that's got this incredible talent, but is really just kind, kind of blowing it. So what happens is um, last year he signs with the Cleveland Browns, and he plays for the Cleveland Browns. And so maybe you're thinking this guy is in the process of rejuvenating his career, which is something that you want to see, until what happens on Monday. If you haven't seen this story, well... Here's the deal. Um, Malik McDowell gets arrested in Deerfield Beach, which is a, a town about 20 miles north of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. But if there's arrests and then there's spectacular arrests. This is in the category of spectacular arrests. Like I said, guy's a defensive tackle, six foot six, three hundred pounds. Well, there is a report. The cops show up because there is a report of somebody walking naked down the street um, in Deerfield Beach, Florida, and then apparently walking into a learning center, you know, where you know, it's a public school where, where kids learning, you know, learning goes on. The guy is completely and totally naked, and it turns out to be Malik McDowell. The police respond to this because... Well, like I said, there, there's a reason why God made clothes, and there's a reason when you want to. There's occasions when you want to take the clothes off, but at the same time, walking down the street of a of a major city and walking into a kid's learning center in the middle of the afternoon is probably not one of those times where you want to be naked. So they, they go in, the police arrive, they see him, and matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, I've got there's pictures of, of all this because it, it's not a usual thing to see a six foot six, three hundred pound naked man walking down the street of this community. So people are taking, um, you know, pictures of this. Apparently, what happens is a a 
police officer rolls up on this guy and they try to um, take him into custody and he decides that he's going to resist and then flee on on foot. So again, you've got this six foot six, three hundred pound naked man who is struggling with the police, and more police arrive, and and ultimately, you know, they they hit him with a taser, and they're able to, you know, put him on on the ground. He, his lawyer <clears throat> says that somebody must have slipped him something, which was. Um, at least um, exacerbating his, his conduct. But the bottom line is the guy is naked walking down the street. Now he's been arrested and charged with all sorts of things. And the, the Cleveland Browns, I think, even though it's the Cleveland Browns, they're going to probably end up, you know, cutting, you know, cutting him. And you, you kind of wonder <clears throat> with his track record how many chances you get, even if you're a six foot six guy that can play defensive tackle. And I would guess that he's kind of ended any chance he's going to have of well having a successful sort of career. But if you think you are having a bad day this week or last week or whatever, again, this is this is what happens. Just be glad that you are not Malik McDowell and be glad that you didn't get arrested for walking naked down the street because nothing good happens, like we always say, outside of strip clubs at 2 o'clock in the morning, and nothing good happens walking down a major city street without clothes on in the middle of the afternoon, and you can take that to the bank. All right, let's get started with the program. I want to share, I want to share a text that um, I, I got just a couple of minutes ago after I was doing my, my tease, what I thought we were going to talk about to start off the program. And it's from one of our regular listeners who is a, a food service driver. I don't know if it's DoorDash or whatever, but something like that. Jeff, last week Friday I was at Papa John's and Brown Deer. I saw a guy looking around the parking lot. Um, I saw him even peek into my vehicle at one point. I told the store manager of Papa John's what I had seen. The store manager went outside, looked at the guy, asked him if he was okay, blah, blah, blah. The store manager came in and told me that the guy had just gotten out of jail. He said he had four cases of stolen vehicles under his belt already. I told uh, that the manager that, that he should call the cops because this guy is going to steal somebody's car. The store manager said he felt sorry for the kid because he was young. I came back to Papa John's for another delivery about an hour later. There are police cars, ambulances, and a fire truck on the scene. Store manager walked up to me and said, well, you were right. The guy jumped into somebody's car when the guy who um, came out, the guy who owned the car, came out and tried to stop him. The kid ran him over. Okay, so you, you have this story that's out there and again we're, we're trying to be nice we're trying to be kind oh yeah i know this guy's behaving in a suspicious suspicious fashion but you know we, we kind of feel bad for him so we're just going to ignore this behavior and, and what happens well somebody gets run over when the guy is trying to steal their car the crime statistics on car theft continue to be unbelievable in the city of milwaukee alone last year 10,482 cars were stolen. That's slightly less than 30 cars a day. That was up from 4,500 in 2020. So it, it you know, like 135% approximately increase in the number of cars that were stolen. As we talked about frequently at, at the end of the year, I, I don't know where it, it finished, but at least as of mid-December, the aggregate number of cars stolen in the city of Milwaukee 
was more than the number of cars stolen in the city of Chicago. Chicago has 2.7 million people. Milwaukee has 600,000. And no, I'm not talking about per capita. I'm talking about total number of cars stolen. Now, I don't know how the year actually finished, but, but at least if those numbers held, more cars total stolen in Milwaukee than in Chicago, a city five times the size of the population. So you, you have this huge problem. And if you look at what's going on for the first, what's today, the 19th, the first, you know, 19, 20 days of the year, it really hasn't changed. So far this year, just from the city of Milwaukee, and we're not talking about the suburbs, I'm not talking about Wauwatosa or Brown Deer or Glendale, I'm not talking about the suburbs right now, just in the city of Milwaukee, so far this year, the, the number that they're reporting on the crime statistics is 496 cars stolen. Now, that's down slightly from 520 cars stolen, but there's always a little bit of a lag. So it appears that, I don't know, at least 25 cars are being stolen a day, somewhere between 25 and and 30. Um, It's, In other words, it's not slowing down. And the fact that we've had winter weather hasn't slowed it down. The people that are stealing cars are continuing to do this, and they're not afraid. They're taking people's cars just willy-nilly. Now, we know that there's some types of cars that are more likely to be stolen, and that would be the Hyundais and the, and the Kias. But, but even with that, you've got people that are stealing any car that they can find. And we regularly talk about stories where you know people leave their cars unattended. And this isn't even including the car jackings, like the thing that, that happened where the off-duty police officer got, got shot last week. What you see is cars being stolen right and left, and no real way to stop it. Now, there's a couple different approaches, and I, I think and I, I've been talking about this for the longest time. The first thing is it's a joke how the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County handles the whole issue of car theft. I mean, you, you steal a car, that should be a 10-year felony, but rarely do people get charged, convicted, and or sentenced with that. Juveniles are never waved into adult court, regardless of how many cars they've stolen, unless unless in one of the car thefts they end up in a high-speed chase and blow through a red light and hit and kill somebody. At that point in time, maybe, maybe they get waved into adult court. But in general, just for going out and stealing, I don't know, somebody's ten or fifteen or $20,000 car, it doesn't matter if you've done it once, doesn't matter if you've done it ten times, the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office and the Milwaukee County Court System is not going to waive you into adult court. You will be slapped on the wrist, you will be sent back to your same dysfunctional parents, and then you will be turned loose to go out and steal another car two or three days later and we're not getting through this at all and it's not changing at all well when we were talking about a related topic the other day i got a couple texts from people who were saying how can this be and how can a city allow things to get so completely and totally out of control and then the underlying thing that i'm hearing from a lot of people is you know what we live in the suburbs. We live, you know, outside of Milwaukee County. We used to love to come to the city of Milwaukee for fill in the blank, this, that, or I'd go to the restaurants, go to the museums, go to the shops, do all those things. But given crime in general and car theft in particular, the repeated message is why would I drive down, park on a street in the city of Milwaukee, and 
risk becoming one of the 25 to 30 people every day whose car is ripped off. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. See, I, I think at some point in time, you know, I've, I've always been told, well, you know, you, you, you're one of these people that contributes to the perception that Milwaukee is dangerous and, and crime-ridden. And I would always say, well, perception you know, does, in fact, become a reality if people start believing it. But I don't think this is a perception anymore. I think when people see these stories of the carjackings in broad daylight, when you see the numbers, 25 to 30 cars stolen every day from the streets of Milwaukee, I think the only logical reaction is to say, you know what, unless I've got some secured parking place that I'm, I'm driving, Unless I'm in a situation where I absolutely, totally know that, that my car is, is going to be secure, I'm rethinking my decisions. 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is crime making you rethink, for example, whether you're willing to travel to the city of Milwaukee? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and, and by the way, as we've talked about frequently, I, I understand sometimes there's people who say, oh, I live in the suburbs. I, I live in Brown Deer. What do I care about what goes on in the city of Milwaukee? I live in Glendale. I live in Wauwatosa or whatever. Well, it's, it's not like the criminals that are committing crimes in Milwaukee, the city of. It's not like there's a giant electrified fence that keeps them in. And I think one of the things that you're seeing is a lot of the spread. And in, in the suburbs, the number of car thefts are up as well. Journal Sentinel had a good piece on that a couple days ago. I mean, not up in terms of the raw numbers like we're, we're talking about with 25 or 30 cars stolen a day, but it's increasing all over, and in large part, not exclusively, but in large part, it's it's criminals from Milwaukee who are coming out to the suburbs and looking for targets of, of opportunity. So it's a problem that we all have, but especially for people that are trying to reinvigorate the city of Milwaukee, you're, you're getting to a point where who, who wants to take the chance of driving down, leaving your car on the street i mean heck the the woman that got carjacked outside the shake shack last thursday at two o'clock in the afternoon with her kids in the car that's two o'clock in the afternoon in the heart of the third ward and you've got people again teenagers driving stolen cars driving another car they just stolen look stolen stolen looking to, to carjack someone else if you can't go to a shake shack at two o'clock in the afternoon in the third ward what makes you think that you can go to i don't know some restaurant you know at seven o'clock at night and park your car on the street 855-616-1620. Let's start with Janet in Waukesha. Hi, Jeff. Thank you for taking my call. I was just telling your screener that um, the gentleman you were discussing the story about being run over is a relative of mine um, through marriage. And um, it's, it's extremely unfortunate that somehow we've cultivated a culture of young people because many of them are young people that that seem to find this to be a game, you know, and people are, are being severely injured. Um, my, it's a cousin of mine, again, by marriage, and and he's an all-around great guy, um, was just going to get pizza for his fiancée and his son, and to have to endure, you know, getting into a, 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 you know, a struggle with someone who's trying to steal the car, who, you know, ultimately was able to overpower him and then get run over on top of it. 
you know, this young man is in the hospital since then and has had surgeries every single day um, he's been there. He's uh, in a critical state. He was previously on dialysis in the port that then that arm was almost, you know, severed by this um in this, uh, you know, him being run over by the car on top of him having, you know, uh, his rib cages all, you know, busted up. His, he's got broken bones in his back. They've had to put in a breastplate, you know, to try and render, you know, some support for, by way of surgery to one side of his body just for him to get a laceration just in the transport, you know, of his, even him being transported from one his bed to another, you know, the operating room bed and all that sort of thing. It's just been a it's it's been a nightmare and and they just have to i know a lot of these young are young people but something has to be done so that the consequences are more severe to try and deter this behavior it's just really mind-boggling that we cannot seem to you know Right. come to some well, and, consensus on the policies to try and make this, you know, well, turn well, this Well, Janet, to, to, to your point, now, the, the texter who told me about this, and, and so it's just secondhand, but my, I have no reason to doubt it, that the guy apparently, at least according to the information I had, multiple convictions, um, you know, been caught stealing multiple cars before, and obviously whatever happened to him before that didn't stop him from going out and trying to steal another car in broad daylight and being willing to, you know, do yeah. what he did to your relative and and, and we're, we're all being victimized by this they're all over the place my sister called me yesterday a, a friend of ours that we grew up with just yesterday morning was uh, putting air in his tire on at a gas station on East Capitol Drive um, there aren't many but just that someone approached him even while he was pumping gas on the passenger side of the car. And he, t- he kind of noticed that the guy was awkwardly standing there because the air pumps are kind of, you know, adjacent right. to the actual gas pump. So this guy had no reason to be standing there. And he starts yelling at the guy to get the blankety blank away from my car. The guy hopped in his driver's seat. And so he hops in his passenger seat to fight the guy out of the car. But it's like these these people are all over the place, seemingly all over the place. You just, oh, yeah. you're really, yeah. I just feel like you're not safe anywhere. You know, no, th- it's horrible. No, Janet, thanks for the call. No, I, in, I think it, what, what you talk about, you know, makes sense. Um, here's a text, Jeff. I went to the Bucks game last Thursday. I parked right on the busy street by Fiserv. Came out, several cars parked on the street by us had their windows shattered. I was so angry and disgusted. The city needs to get this under control. Yeah, I had a couple stories about that. One I didn't get to yesterday about how, you know, they're starting to find this problem again, just kind of that senseless vandalism that's out there where you have people that are breaking you know breaking windows not necessarily stealing the cars but breaking the windows getting in and then rifling through the cars to see if there's any sort of stuff that that's in there look this is an ongoing problem and you know we've got a mayor's race tom barrett might have been a nice guy but tom barrett was punched out um, as far as by that I mean punched out on the whole issue of crime, he he just he had no ideas and and essentially that the city 
has just gone downhill to the point that you have a lot of people who are just unwilling to come into the city and you cannot fault that particular position because look there's all sorts of places that you can go to spend your money and there's all sorts of restaurants that you can go to and if you're going to go to a restaurant or a bucks game or you know some other attraction you don't expect to come out and find your car stolen you don't expect to find you know some low life that's willing to waiting to jump in your car as soon as you open the door you don't expect to be carjacked and you don't expect to be victimized in general and yet maybe you should expect all those things about milwaukee all right let's take a quick break back with more in just a minute you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj I really hope that the people who are, are going to be the next generation of leadership in the city of Milwaukee might, might sample programs like this just from time to time to hear the reaction that the general public has. Because the truth of the matter is I think the general public is just sick as heck of, of all the, the crime and the out-of-control stuff that's going on. Just a couple more texts before we move on. Jeff, my son lives in Milwaukee, goes to Bucks games and restaurants downtown. I constantly worry about his safety on what you describe as the mean streets of the city of Milwaukee. Jeff, you're talking about visitors to Milwaukee, but don't forget, what about the workers at these businesses who, who have to go down there? Jeff, valet parking at the hotels and restaurants in downtown Milwaukee require constant surveillance because of things like this. Jeff, I've been to Milwaukee many times within the last decade or so. I always thought of the city as safe and welcoming and had a good time being there. It's sad to see and hear how things have changed lately. I look forward to the day when common sense will prevail and things will return to normal. Um, yeah. Jeff, I live on the... Um, See, Jeff, I live on the edge of Milwaukee. My car is always locked in the garage and in the garage, even at home. I will not do anything in Milwaukee. I do all my shopping in other cities. I want nothing whatsoever to do with anything going on here. Um, yes, and those are the factors that, that are that are out there. And so you've got the car thefts, you've got the car jackings. And look, I, I understand that urban areas have problems. And, and what's going on in Milwaukee is not necessarily unique, but I think you can argue that it is as bad here as it is anywhere in the country, okay, at least in some areas of crime. Jeff, where's, what's the numbers for that? Well, uh, again, if we have as many or almost as many carjackings total, uh, car thefts total, as the city of Chicago, which is five times larger than Milwaukee does. What what does that tell you? And then you've got the, the random stupid violence. I read the text from the guy who was at the Bucks game on Thursday night and comes out, and all these cars parked on the streets, you know, have their windows smashed in. Story I was looking at. Um, over the weekend on the east side, Prospect and Curtis, police say at least. So if you say at least, that means there's probably a lot more than that. At least five cars were broken into. At least two were damaged between 6 p.m. Saturday and 11 a.m. Sunday. Unknown suspects intentionally forced entry to the vehicles, ransacked them, and removed property. And, of course, as our caller was talking about before, the, the reality is, look, you, it, it used to be that you could leave your car running in your driveway to, to warm up on, on cold days and things of, of the like. Well, well, now we know that you can't do that because that there's just roving bands that are out there looking for somebody who might leave their car door unlocked or their car running or whatever. What is staggering to me is the fact that it can happen so quickly. 
that you get the idea that there are just people who spend their entire days cruising around the city of Milwaukee looking to find somebody who has let their guard down. And that tells me that you have an emboldened criminal population. And and I understand why they wouldn't be emboldened, because nothing happens to them. This is a crisis. And whenever you hear any of the mayoral candidates talk about this, that should be question number one. What is your plan to help reduce crime in the city? Are you going to call out the district attorney for the ridiculous decisions they make and the failure to waive repeat juvenile offenders into adult court? Are you going to use your bully pulpit as mayor to call out judges when they impose these ridiculously low sentences? Are you going to use your bully pulpit as mayor to perhaps work with the legislature and pressure the governor to make changes in the quote-unquote juvenile justice laws so we stop hiding juvenile justice records, we stop concealing the identity of repeat juvenile criminals under this notion that, well, we don't want to ruin their lives because they're, they're just young. Well, at some point in time, I don't know, if you're 16 years old, after you've stolen seven or eight cars, you know, at what point in time do we start to say, look, we're, we're not going to protect your identity anymore. We're going to start worrying about protecting the community because we're going to identify you, and we're also going to call out the judges that have allowed you to go back on the streets over and over again and prey on honest, law-abiding citizens. Those are the types of things that we should be asking the people who want to be the next mayor of the city. Of Milwaukee. Now, will, will anybody do it? I'm not going to necessarily hold my breath. All right. COVID is still out there. It's, I mean, it, it, there are some reports that suggest that we, we may be peaking with the, the latest variant. Don't know for sure. Um, and what did, what did Dr. Fauci say last week that, you know, he, he's now come to the conclusion that he thinks everybody's going to get this latest variant at some point in time or another. And, and now, We've moved past the idea of what Joe Biden said he was going to do last year, which was effectively you know, eliminate COVID. Now we're, we're trying to figure out how to live with COVID, and we're trying to figure out how not to overwhelm the hospital system. So one of the things that we've been trying to do in an effort to do that is to say, all right, let, let's try to limit contacts. The city of Milwaukee, MPS, um, and it's not the only school district in the area, but it's one of it's the largest school district in the area. MPS had been closed for the first couple weeks. It was supposed to reopen after the holiday break, the Christmas break, and th- they didn't. They went to virtual learning because th- they said that we we just didn't have enough staff members to be able to to run the classes. We had so many people that were out sick with COVID. There was only so many substitutes we could get. We did not have enough manpower, woman power. We didn't have enough teachers. We didn't have enough aides. We, we couldn't run, run the classes. But we want to reopen as soon as possible. So MPS schools students returned yesterday for the first time in nearly a, a month. And, you know, MPS said, okay, well, we've gotten, we now have enough people, we think, to, to run these. And we're hoping hoping that the the COVID test, the the COVID numbers have started to max out. And so we want to get the kids back into the classroom. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it too soon? I mean, is it too soon? There's no question that you've got, you know, COVID is, is still out there. It's still out there in a big way. On the one hand, 
You still have people that are being admitted to the hospitals that, thankfully, as a general rule, it's not kids. It's not people who are, as a general rule, vaccinated and or or boosted. And the people that are having the worst results are people who tend to be, what I think the last numbers I saw, over 70 with various what they call comorbidities. So as a general rule, while nobody wants to get COVID, the, the people who are if vaccinated and boosted or young people, like the people that are going to be going to school, that the chances of them, even if they contract COVID, chances of them getting very, very sick are not great. But here's the question. Too soon to open the schools? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer, feel free to disagree, my answer is absolutely not. One of the things that we have learned over the last year and a half is that virtual learning is almost an oxymoron. By that, I mean virtual learning really does not work for most students. And I think it's just been terrible, and I'm not pointing fingers here, it has been terrible that COVID has essentially consigned lots and lots of kids for the last year and a half to virtual learning, which I think has put many kids, including a lot of kids who probably maybe were behind the eight ball a little bit anyways, now they're further and further behind. I think it is important. If you've got enough teachers to run the classrooms, I think you've got to get those kids back into school like like yesterday. And I applaud MPS for doing this. I think they have to do everything they possibly can, and I would say this to other school districts as well, to keep the doors open. 855-616-1620, we discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line, still being flooded by texts with people who are telling horror stories about leaving their cars on the streets of Milwaukee and being them being vandalized and them being victimized. All right, so here's the deal: MPS was shut down, or I say shut down, I mean virtual learning, but that, that's that's one step above being shut down for the first two weeks of the, the school year, the calendar year of uh, in January, because they didn't have enough staff to go in and to run in person. Now they're back, and all the kids are coming in. There's still some questions because people don't know where we are with COVID. And the issue is, and I know there's some parents out there thinking, well, are, are we risking you know, the, the kids? Is it time to do that? And so my point is you, you, there's got to be a balancing. I appreciate that nobody wants to get COVID. Nobody wants to get sick and nobody wants to end up in the hospital. But let's just assume that to be the case. But but here's the reality. This new variant for people who are boosted and or vaccinated in the first place, the chances of getting very, very sick are, are very, very slim. So that's the reality. And that's the situation for most of the people that are teaching in the schools. Additionally, kids, if they get COVID, in general, do not get very sick. I understand there's some exceptions, but again, if you look at the statistics, it's not a a risky situation as far as, uh, again, a chance that you're going to have some seven or eight-year-old that's going to be in the hospital on a ventilator. You've got to balance all that with the idea and the reality that, you know, people who are in these classrooms, the virtual classrooms, just aren't learning. And we, we can't go 
another year or another two years by having this mediocre form of instruction. Here's some text. Jeff, school should have never been virtual from the beginning. That's one of the reasons I believe crime is getting worse. There is no way that some of those kids are sitting at home or in school. They're out running around stealing cars and stuff. And I think... You know, there there is definitely an element of that. Jeff, my wife is a teacher. Coming out of Christmas, over half of the class tested positive for COVID in middle school. This was just one grade level in school. So needless to say, cases were high. The school, after they go to, uh, was virtual for 10 days to hopefully read out some of the positive cases. My wife doesn't like this, nor do many parents. But, you know, um, virtual learning, the student body might get 50% of education done. Well, that's, I mean, part of the problem that you have. Jeff, you've got to get back to school. The longer these kids are off, the more they suffer. They need to be back in school. Virtual learning simply does not work. And I think, you know, most people would say exactly that. Ben in South Milwaukee. Ben, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, these MPS uh, kids, they really need to get back to school. Um, it's its really good for them, gives them stability. And, you know, at this point in the pandemic, pretty much everyone has the ability to get vaccinated. And that's what we were waiting for. You know, I have four kids of myself, and education is really important for their social, um, emotional, and um, intellectual well-being. And if they're not in school, they're losing out and they're suffering. And these kids are suffering. It's really sad. Yeah, you know, you made a really good point there, Ben, when you talked about the the, the socialization. I mean, it's one thing to sit in front of a computer screen, assuming that the kids are really sitting in front of a computer screen, and it's one thing to have the book and that, but it's that interaction that you have with the teachers, it's the interaction you have with the fellow students. That's such a key part of learning, and and we've deprived kids of that, you know, uh, over the course of the last year and a half, and they're never going to get that time back. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it takes, you learn how to be in the classroom too. You learn your classroom discipline. And as the school year is broken up into virtual and not virtual, they lose that discipline and it really affects their ability to learn and to interfere with other students learning and be a disruption and have behavioral issues in the classroom. So it's really disappointing and I'm glad that they're actually going back on Tuesday. So that's good at least today. Yeah, yeah. thanks for the call, Ben. I appreciate it. And again, I, I don't, if, if we want to tie back to what we were talking about in the first part of, of the hour, there are some people who suggest that one of the reasons why the amount of crime is up so high in Milwaukee is again, and you can make this argument about other urban areas as well, but we're talking about Milwaukee. One of the reasons that the crime level is up so high is because, again, of virtual learning. Because let's, Let's be honest here. You know, if we're going to be honest, you, you have, you know, it, it's a recipe for truancy. I mean, the, the idea that, okay, you've got the, these kids where, you know, mom and dad are, aren't around, that these kids are, are sitting there and they're in front of their computers and they're on their laptops and they're doing this stuff and, and they're where they would normally be if there was an in-person class. That, that, that notion is, is, I think, you know, maybe for some kids, but for most it's just not what the reality is. So there's a lot of people who say, okay, part of the problem is you've got a lot of kids who are out there because they've got a lot more time on their hands. They're just out there running the streets because there's really no accountability when it comes to the virtual learning. And, you know, kids running the streets 
um, with no accountability, too much time on their hands. It, it's just a recipe for disaster. And I, I think that might be one of the many factors that explains why you have 14- and 15-year-old kids that are out there stealing cars at, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon or 10 o'clock in the morning. It's because, well, they were supposed to be in school, but there's no school for them to be in. Now, look, I, I understand if the teachers have COVID and you don't have enough teachers to run the classes, that, that you've you got to go to virtual learning. But my point is, virtual learning does not work. It is a very poor substitute. I think that's something, I don't care where you are in the political spectrum, I think that's something that we should all be able to agree to. And it seems to me for school districts, if you've got enough bodies, if you've got enough teachers to run the classes, you've got to have the in-person learning, period. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the program. Okay, so Joe Biden is having a press conference later on this afternoon, and it's limited because of COVID concerns and things like that. It's going to be interesting to, to see how aggressively the news media goes after him, especially given how aggressive they went after Donald Trump. Now, let's review the bidding here. Um, when, when Donald Trump was president and you, you had COVID first arriving here, Trump was was beaten up on a daily basis by not just Democrats, but their allies in the media for what was perceived as, as Trump being tardy on appreciating you know the significance of covid and also not appreciating how bad covid was and just not rallying the the troops and getting stuff done fast enough now at the same time if you want to give credit where credit is due it was donald trump that started the the operation warp speed that got us the vaccines that got us out of the the first phase of of covid but but that was the criticism, and I think objectively you could look at it and say, yeah, I think there's some stuff there. President Trump made the decision not to alarm. I don't want to alarm people, so he ended up downplaying COVID, and that ended up, I think, backfiring on him. It was certainly an issue that was used in the 2020 presidential campaign against him and continues to be something here. Yeah, Trump Trump did not re- resonate to this day among people. You know, Trump just didn't appreciate COVID, didn't do the things. We were unprepared. And that was the argument that Biden made on, during the campaign on a regular basis. And look, if you want to be objective about it i think there was some fairness in that even giving president trump credit for the operation warp speed that got us the vaccines okay fair enough but but to use the cliche if if it's good for the goose isn't it good for the gander now over the last couple days and later on today you're going to hear president biden announce that they are now going to reach into the national stockpile and they are going to take 400 million of these N95 masks, which are the, the masks that really seem to work uh, against uh, the Omicron variant, to the extent that any masks work, it, these are the ones that you want to be wearing. And they are going to make them available and they're going to distribute them to drugstores and pharmacies and people will be able to go and pick up up to three masks for free. So we're, we're doing that and that rollout is going to be next week, which is like the, the end of, of January. On top of that, 
the government has just you know undertaken the whole idea of hey we're, we're going to get more of the test kits out there we're going to make them available for free and we're going to let people sign up on websites to get them and we're going to require insurers to have to pay for them all, all these things that they've announced that they're doing in the space of well the last week or two all right our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess I have one question about this, and I'd like to see the reporters ask President Biden about this. And that question would be, what took so long? I mean, one of the big arguments that Biden made in running against Trump was that Trump was not prepared. The government did not react appropriately, and they did not react quickly enough. Well, over the course of the last year, the government has had multiple opportunities to anticipate that there may be variants, to recognize that we did not have enough reasonably priced tests that could get into people's hands, and to recognize that, okay, you know, maybe some of the these masks and things that we have out there, if that you believe is, is the way to better protect people, that, you know, th- there's not enough of the decent masks that are there, and the ones that are out there are beyond the price range of, of a lot of the people who might otherwise need them. So I, I really don't have a fault with the idea that we're rolling out more tests. Don't have a criticism with the idea that we're going to dip into the strategic reserve and, and make all these masks now available for free. Oh, okay, that, that's all fine. But is it at the same time, is it fair to say, why did it take so long? What, what, what's been going on over the course of, of the last year? Were we completely and totally blindsided by the, the new variant? Did it never occur to anyone from, I don't know, the CDC or the World Health Organization or Dr. Fauci or anybody else associated with the government that we might have a different kind of variant that was going to emerge that we might need testing? I mean, Biden's been talking about the need for testing for the better part of, well, a couple years when he was running for office and now as president. We've been talking about the need for people people to mask up and things like that since we knew this and have known it for a while is it unfair to say why weren't we prepared why are we doing it in middle middle of january why are we scrambling to do this stuff shouldn't we have been doing it two months ago or four months ago or six months ago 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line we discuss in a moment this is jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I just one of the frustrating things is the double standard that, that's out there. And I have a couple of people texting me saying, "Well, yes, you're you're right. You know, maybe it was that the media was unfair to Donald Trump by picking on him on certain things, but and they've ignored the same stuff with Joe Biden. But you know, what difference does it make? Well, it, it makes it, it makes a difference, especially if we're going to ask beyond the politics. For, forget about whether you love Biden or hate Biden. Forget about whether you think he's Jimmy Carter, you know, redo or whatever. The the, the bottom line is. We, we were told by our government that, all right, we were told by people that, hey, the, the Trump administration screwed up. They did not anticipate the significance of COVID. Fine. All right. Well, what's the Biden administration been doing over the course of the last year? Why are we, if we're told that we've got to mask up and we have to have these effective masks, why is it only now? 
that we are rolling out the, the, the masks and making them available to people for, for free, people who otherwise wouldn't have been able to get them. Why is it that we're only rolling out the tests now? You know, in Europe, in Europe, the, the access to the, these at-home COVID tests has been plentiful for the last year. And they've been at costs of, on average, if you look at some of the major European countries, you could get an at-home COVID test for about a buck, uh, about a, a dollar. Well, all right, I understand we're now saying that insurance has to cover it, but where have we been over the course of the last year? 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I think Biden was putting all his eggs in the vaccine basket. He was so intent on pushing the vaccine on everyone that he did not consider any options. I, I agree. I, I think that, that that was it. The idea was, all right, once we get people vaccinated and were boosted, it's going to solve the whole problem. There's not going to be any sort of issue. And it never occurred to anybody that, gee, maybe we're going to have a variant that's going to occur, a variant that's going to be out there that might worm its way around some of the vaccines. I think that's exactly what happened here. But I think it's also fair to say, why didn't we have a plan B and why didn't we have a plan C? And look, this I'm, I'm a pro-vaccination guy. I understand some of you don't agree with me on this, and you think that this is going to be a disaster down the road, but I'm pro-vaccine. But are we incapable in this country of doing more than one thing at once? You know, all right, yes, we're saying to people, all right, get vaccinated. We're saying to people, get boosted. We're, we're trying to do that. But at the same time, you know, shouldn't we have also been saying, all right, we, we've got to make sure that there are the at-home tests that are available, and we've got to make sure that they are affordable so people can get them. And then as far as masks, the whole issue of masks, and this has been a controversy for the last year, where, where is the argument about why haven't we been, why haven't we been, been you know aggressive about making sure that these masks are available to people why are we waiting to do it now you know we should have i mean here's the truth of the matter you know once this even if you want to argue that the delta variant you know the the delta variant didn't manifest itself until what thanksgiving is that when the reports were all right that that's still that's still going on two months ago the, the government should have been a position where as soon as we saw this stuff spiking, that boom, you could have thrown a switch, and then what would have ended up happening is, all right, you know, we, we've got the tests that are out there. We've, we've got it. Why did it take two months to have to, you know, gear this up? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I think what's happening is, is the number of cases begins to drop at the same time this rollout of masks and tests. The Biden administration will be able to claim that they solved the crisis. It's all about perception. Yeah, in, in many cases, and I guess that's what I was thinking when I saw these reports, it's like we're locking, I'm using all these cliches today, I apologize. It's, it's like we're locking the barn door after the horses have gotten out. The, the numbers, look, and I'm not saying that the pandemic is over but a lot of reports are suggesting that with this latest variant the numbers are now spiking they're starting to go down so now that they're going down now is when we're rolling out this stuff i mean you know um really um okay jeff i think biden was very slow but compare that to where the thought leaders of the republican party are all right i'm not talking about the thought leaders of the republican party i'm talking about this notion that we were going to be you know prepared for this and and i think you know whatever your politics are 
And I understand that there are some people on the left who, number one, hate Donald Trump, and number two, believe that Biden can absolutely do no wrong and don't understand why his approval ratings are stuck in the 30s. But if you want to be objective about this, think about if this was Trump that was in the White House, and think about if if we had the Omicron variant that, that hit when it did. You don't think people would have been screaming, you've had a year to figure out how you were going to get tests in people's hands at reasonable prices. You've had a year to figure out you know, how you were going to get masks in the hands, effective masks, in the hands of people who chose to wear them. This isn't about mask mandates or anything like this. You've had a year. Do you seriously believe that if a Donald Trump were the president, as opposed to Joe Biden, a lot of the people that are making apologies right now for Joe Biden wouldn't have been just absolutely screaming um, of this. Jeff, I would agree it would be better to have tests and masks sooner, but um, I am certain it would be worse if Trump was president as far as COVID. Well, you know, maybe, you know, maybe not. You know, Jeff, I ended up paying $25 for a test at Walgreens. To me, that's not affordable. Well, I think that that's a fair question to ask about, you know, why why are we doing this and you know how bad has this gotten um 855-616-1620 which is the acunet mortgage talk and text line mike in milwaukee mike you're on wtmj hi there um hi. i got two points to make and the first hello yeah go ahead the first ahead. point is you said are they you said are they going to treat trump um, or Biden differently than they would Trump today at the press conference. Okay, now hear me out. What would Trump do at the press conference? He'd have first come out and told everybody they were fake news, and this is a witch hunt, and blah, 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 and he would lie to them. Now, Joe Biden's not going to do that. He's not going to call people names. He's not going to say things are witch hunts. He's going to tell it like it is, and that's the big difference there. Second thing, you talked why aren't they ready? All right. We were told by people that, hey, the Trump administration screwed up. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, Mike. Where you must have your radio on. Mike, we got to let you go. Um, I, well, I, let me let me address the let me address the the first part of, of what you said that Biden's not going to call names or anything like that. I I, I don't know. Did, did did you see the speech that Biden gave uh, last week in, in Georgia about voting rights? Which was, I, I mean, it, I tell you, it was it was Joe Biden channeling Donald Trump, where he was talking about how essentially if you're a Republican or you don't agree that you need this voting rights legislation, it's it's Bull Connor, it's Jim Crow 2.0. I mean, it was it was a disgraceful speech that, that candidly for somebody who ran saying, I'm not going to call names, I'm going to be a uniter. I, clearly, I, I think, you know, the, the Biden administration and Joe Biden in particular frustrated that their poll numbers are, are where they are in that situation. So I, I I don't know that you can just talk, chalk this up completely to personalities, but I'm just trying to be objective about this here. You know, I, look, I, I understand people can fault President Trump's response to this, and there is some validity in that. I am conceding that as a matter of principle. But at the same time, can we not also agree that what's happened over the last year, we should have expected, whether it's Anthony Fauci or the CDC or the Biden administration or whoever, maybe to be better prepared so... 
If we're going to do all these rollouts, we should have done them months ago when the Omicron variant was first emerging, or certainly by you know my early to mid-December, instead of in the situation we are now. What, what has the government been doing, and how did we let ourselves get caught flat-footed again? And I can see that I think we got caught flat-footed back when this thing first broke out in the spring of 2020. It appears that two years later, we've learned absolutely nothing. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Realize that that nothing is forever, and, and businesses come and go. If you think back on maybe restaurants that you went to, or, or taverns that you went to, that were just incredibly popular, and, and you never thought that they would we'd go away. You know, we talk about that from time to time on the program, but but the truth is, nothing is there forever. And there, there's another story like that that's out there. If you grew up in Glendale, chances are. At some point in time or the other, you stopped off to have a fish fry or a beer or maybe another type of adult beverage at Johnson's Green 7, which was on Bender and Green Bay Road. It was just an institution, which was actually right down the street from Silver Spring House, which was another institution in Glendale. And if, like you know, if you, like me, grew up in Glendale, went to Nicolay High School, chances are you spent many misbegotten evenings either in Johnson's Green 7 or down the road at Silver Spring House. Silver Spring House closed a couple years ago. Property is still for, for sale, and, and I think about that every time I drive past that area. And the announcement just came out this week that um, Johnson's Green 7, very popular Glendale destination. That is closing as well. I cannot think of how many times I went in there with my parents for their fish fry and stuff, and that was one of the places that my dad used to love to, to hang out, you know, for after he retired and stuff like that. It just um, another one of these situations where it, it, it couldn't get past COVID. So I understand where, where all this happened. Apparently, they, the owners were trying to, to sell the property for a number of years while they kept it open. They, they were hoping to find another place that would keep it open as a bar or restaurant. That didn't work out, so it's going to become a dental office. And it seems to me nowadays, every time you turn around, um, there's a building that gets taken over. It's either a dental office or it's a pharmacy or it's it's a bank. Like, like, like how many different banks do you need on different corners and things like that? But Johnson's Green 7, another part of my childhood and stuff, closing, um, it, it's too bad. It just shows that nothing is forever. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Welcome back. Maybe at the Biden press conference, somebody can ask him what he thinks about what's been happening in the stock market for the last month or so. Dow Jones, after a brutal day yesterday, uh, down again today. Right now, down 165 points. The Nasdaq down 32 points, giving back a lot of the gains that uh, the Dow had over the course of the last few months. So hopefully that will turn around. All right. If you are a regular listener of this program, you may remember I was for years one of the staunchest advocates of Wisconsin adopting legal concealed carry. We were, as I recall, the 
49th state. Illinois was the only one that didn't have concealed carry, at least some form of concealed carry, before we did. And and my point was always, I I don't think that there's anything, there's certainly nothing about Wisconsin residents that made me believe that we were more bloodthirsty or more irresponsible when it came to carrying firearms than people in the other 48 states. And and I I was very much in favor of some form of concealed carry. I, and I think my opinions have been largely proven to be correct. I'm not saying that over the years since we've had concealed carry, there hasn't been some instance where you can find some concealed carry permit holder who, who behaved irresponsibly with a firearm. But as a general rule, concealed carry has not led us to becoming the wild, wild west. We, we may in certain parts of the state be the wild, wild west, but it has nothing to do with concealed carry. So I'm a proponent of that. If if I were to change one thing about the concealed carry law, it would be that I would put in a requirement for like some sort of proficiency testing. I mean, I've told this story before, but years ago in another life when I was in the U.S. Attorney's Office and I, I had a permit to carry a gun because of death threats and things like that. But in order to get that permit to qualify as a special deputy U.S. Marshal, I, I had to prove I knew how to use the gun. So every... I don't know, six months or something, I had to qualify, just like law enforcement people have to qualify. You have to be able to prove that you use the gun, might know how to use the gun. My biggest beef about the Wisconsin concealed carry law has always been that there's no proficiency element to it. Now, I would think that, you know, I mean, I've always argued that if you're going to carry a firearm, if you're going to carry a gun, the the only thing Worse than not having a gun if you need it is having that gun and not knowing how to use it. And my, my concern is that there might be some people <clears throat> who get the gun and say, okay, now, now I've, I've got the gun, but never really practice with the gun, never learn how to use it. And, and that's, that's a bad situation. So if I were king and I were revisiting the whole concealed carry thing, I think I would go back and I would put an element of proficiency training in there. That's why I encourage anybody that I know who says, hey, I want to get a concealed carry carry permit or whatever, my I'm going to buy a gun and get a concealed carry permit. The thing I always say is, great, take the training classes, learn when you can do it, learn what your responsibilities are, but also you know, go to a gun range, find an instructor, learn how to shoot the gun, make sure you know how to do it before you just start carrying a gun around. So that's one of the things that I would advocate. I, I go through this background only because I, I consider myself to be a pro-Second Amendment guy, and I also consider myself to be pro-concealed carry, which brings me, though, to something that's moving through the, the legislature right now. A Republican representative out of two rivers Um, wants to change the concealed carry law. Right now, in order to get a concealed carry permit, you need to be 21 years old. That, and that's that's tied in with the the federal rules that say that um, under federal law you can't legally purchase a handgun from a federally licensed firearms dealer unless you're in a position where you. Um, Unless you you have you know the the, the permit you so the the idea is you got to be 21 to buy the to buy the firearm. So the state representative wants to change the law and say let's reduce the concealed carry law. Let's take it from 21 to 18. And the argument is well if you're old enough to serve in the military at 18, you should be old enough to get a concealed carry permit. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At the risk of 
antagonizing some of you. I guess I look at this and I say, this strikes me as being, uh, again, a, a solution that is looking for a problem. I don't know that it's a problem in this state that we say, hey, you, you got to be 21 before you can get the concealed carry permit. And candidly, it does make sense to me that you're tying this in with the federal law that says you can't legally buy a handgun from a federally licensed dealer until you are 21. 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there a need to reduce the legal age for concealed carry from 21 to 18? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I'm I'm pro concealed carry. I, I I I've I argued for it for for years, but right now that this push that's to to reduce the concealed carry age from twenty one to eighteen. Candidly, I, it, I'm I'm having trouble getting behind it. It's tied in the twenty one year old age is tied in with the legal age to purchase a, a handgun pursuant to federal law. So to me, it, it makes sense and it's consistent. The, the people pushing it are, are saying, well, you know, if you're old enough to serve in the military, you should be old enough for concealed carry. And a number of people are, are, are making this point. Let me just share one of the many texts. Jeff, using military service as an excuse to allow other things is absurd. I served in the Navy for 20 years. At no point in my career was I allowed to walk around with a gun unsupervised. I had to go through training and I was only allowed to carry weapons while on duty. Even with my concealed carry permit, I was not allowed to carry a firearm on the the base. Yeah, that that's it. You know, another person pointing out the military teaches the eighteen year old how to use the weapons. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's start with John in Twin Lakes. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How you doing today? Good. What do you think? I think it should stay at twenty one. I remember when I was in the military at the age of twenty, I was still growing. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a vet. I teach concealed carry classes. Uh, I, I think everybody should, should take these classes regardless of how they feel about getting, about concealed carry. But to me, an 18-year-old just doesn't make the right judgment calls at that point. And if they really want to reduce it to 18 for military purposes, then let's reduce it to 18 for people in the active duty only. Right, right. Well, you know, the, the whole problem I have you know, with, I with mean, that whole – Yeah. Well, well that, that whole military it, argument, it, I mean – The you, law th- – sh- then should we reduce yeah. the should we say okay let's reduce the the drinking age to eighteen I mean it just I mean it takes you down this slippery slope. Yeah, smarter people than me make those decisions, but I just don't believe you make the right decisions at the age of eighteen. I remember the stupid things I was doing. I remember the stupid things I done. I did when I was in the military, and I don't think carrying a gun is one of the smartest things. And I mean the federal law already puts it at twenty one. Unless you're buying a used firearm in the state of Wisconsin, you can buy a handgun at the age of 18 as long as it's not from an FFL deal. Right. And right. I'm against that as well. You know, I mean, yeah. that's something that should be taught at home by the family and taken by courses as they grow up and, and become carry holders and hunters, that kind of thing. John, thanks for the call. Yeah. I, I appreciate your thoughts. Look, I, I guess I sort of look at this, and it's why I started the introduction by saying, 
when I when I look at at laws and when I look at at making changes to things, my first question is is why? What what are we really trying to accomplish? And is there a problem that we really need to solve? Is, is there a situation where you have eighteen and nineteen and twenty year olds that that really need concealed carry? I mean, are, are we seeing reports of, of those types of things? And, and I guess I'm I, I'm not. At the same time, I, I do think that you know that at 21 year old age, especially since it's tied into the federal law, makes a makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess I'd really have to see some compelling evidence other than, well, you know, you're old enough to sign to join the military, and you're old enough to get married, and you're old enough to, to vote at 18, so you should be old enough to get a concealed carry permit. You, I think you know you you need to have something more than that if you're going to convince me that this is something that you need to do. Let's talk to Don in Richfield. Don, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Don. Um, this March, I'll, I, I'll be in the Army for 20 years come this March, and in all the units I've been in, I have never met one 18-year-old that has ever qualified with a pistol. You have to be a certain rank to even be able to carry a pistol, in the, at least the Army. I don't know about the other branches of the service, but in 20 years of service, I've only qualified with a pistol in the Army twice. Right, right, Don. Th- th- so thanks for the. Pers- yeah, the, you don't see a need for the it. The whole pushing of the. Yeah, I don't see a need for it. Yeah, that, that, thanks for the call, Don. I, I I appreciate it. I just I, I always have problems with this stuff because where where, where the argument is well, it, it's just you're you're right, and you're talking to a guy who believes in 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 the Second Amendment, but still we we have limitations. We don't let people own bazookas. You know, if if you want to own an automatic weapon, you have to register. I mean, there, there's all sorts of limitations on this, and to me, absent some compelling reason. Otherwise, I think 21 is a good level for the the concealed carry permit aspect of this. And, again, I I agree with the people in the first couple callers, too, who are making the point that that the whole idea of the military thing is kind of a – is sort of a red herring. Craig and Horicon. Craig, you're on WTNJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. uh, I'll make this real quick. Uh, I think it was the Carter administration that – banned uh, military from bringing their own personal weapons into the military. I think uh, in, in Vietnam, you could bring your own personal weapons. But anyway, after that point, um, it was, you, you put, if, if you were a hunter, a rabbit hunter, a deer hunter, if you went onto a military post, you put your weapons into the, the company armor, uh, mm-hmm. and you had to fill out paperwork to take it out for those hunting seasons. 21 is my gosh, the bare minimum age. And my biggest complaint is as a concealed carry card holder for over 30 years, every other state that I qualified in, I had to use the weapon to qualify mm-hmm. on a shooting range before getting my card. Wisconsin is the only state that they just gave me the card, and I mean, I'm glad I have it. I don't use it, but yeah. Yeah, Wisconsin, you don't have to qualify. I don't understand that. That should be the issue. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you as well, Craig. Thanks for the call. That, that's what I was saying at the start of this topic. If if I were to have changed anything, I would have put in a proficiency element to this. It Would it have... Would it have screened out maybe some some people who 
chose not to qualify or couldn't qualify or whatever. Yeah, it would have. But I guess my argument there would be, well, if if you can't hit the target, if you don't know how to use the gun, maybe you shouldn't have the gun in in the first place, even though you have a right to own the firearm. I I think that that stuff is all kind of tied in together. And this this isn't an anti-gun rant or anything. It's just that the simple reality that I think that the concealed carry law, if nothing else, I think in Wisconsin, I, I think maybe... If we were going to take a look at this, and I understand the politics of it, I, I think if we were going to take a look at it, we, we might want to tighten it a little bit by putting in that proficiency element. I see no reason at all why we would, would liberalize it and why we would reduce the, the age to, to 18. The, the argument that you can join the military not compelling at me at all from to me at all, and the argument that, well, you know, 18-year-olds need concealed carry, Okay, explain to me why. Show me the case statistics that would back it up. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Hey, coming up in the next hour of the program, Donald Trump in trouble in New York. And what is the future of the Milwaukee streetcar with Tom Barrett now firmly ensconced in Luxembourg. We'll discuss both of those and a lot more. You know, interesting story. Urban Milwaukee is is one of the local websites that I think does a very, very good job of covering the city. Now, as I've said before, they've got a very liberal spin to it, but that, that doesn't mean that they don't have really interesting stuff and news stories. And one of the things Urban Milwaukee is reporting is that a number of newspapers, six state newspapers, have now announced <coughs> that they are going to and their Saturday editions, uh, Gannett, which Gannett, which is what owns now owns the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, with whom, of course, WTMJ Radio used to share a corporate identity. No more. Um, apparently, the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel is the only one that is going to continue to publish on on Saturdays. All the other papers um, that Gannett owns in Wisconsin are, are doing away with the Saturday editions. The Green Bay Press-Gazette, the Appleton Post-Crescent, Sheboygan Press, Wausau Daily Herald, Oshkosh Northwestern, and Manitowoc Herald Times Reporter. And and I think the decisions being made is that you know, the, the Saturday papers have always been the thinnest. They've always been the, the smallest, whereas the Sunday papers are always the largest ones. That's the one that has all the advertising. And, and the idea is that there's just uh, apparently not enough readership, not enough ad dollars, and not enough money to justify continue you know, to, to publish the Saturday editions. I understand why they're doing this. Matter of fact, I, I guess... As somebody who loves newspapers and, and, and loves to, to read them, whether it's online in the digital fashion or whether, you know, getting the newspaper delivered to your house and sitting there with a cup of coffee and, and going through it and read it, I, I hate to see the demise of newspapers, but this, this to me is, is inevitable. If, if you look at the economics of this and the way people get information and the, the cost that it takes to actually physically produce a newspaper and then deliver it to people's houses i'm i'm actually surprised that you know we've had saturday newspapers for as long as we have my prediction is in the next couple years you're not just going to see saturday newspaper editions go away you're going to see print editions of many many days go away maybe everything but but sundays for example it's just changing times and for a lot of us you know dinosaurs who still like the newspapers and things like that 
that, we're, we're going to miss it. But for anybody under the age of 40, I, I, don't, if, I don't know that they ever read a hard copy of a newspaper unless they're sitting you know, in a car dealership waiting for the, the car dealer to change their oil or something like that. In any event, um, Saturday newspaper editions going away for a lot of the m- newspapers in Wisconsin, not the Journal Sentinel yet. Back with more in just a couple minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. You probably heard the old saying that, you know, um, just because you're paranoid doesn't mean people aren't out to get you. Similarly, I think you could also say that just because something is politically motivated doesn't mean that there might not be a reason for it anyways. And that's what I was thinking when I saw these recent stories about the investigation being conducted by the New York Attorney General's office into the Trump organization. Now, now, now hear me out here. There's been a lengthy investigation, and it, there's the Attorney General's office is, is running a civil investigation, and it's running parallel to some criminal investigations that's already resulted in charges against one executive in the Trump company. Don't know where that stuff is all going to go. But here's what some of the allegations are. The, the claims are that the Trump organization claimed all sorts, they overstated the value of land donations that they made in New York and California on paperwork submitted to the IRS to justify several million dollars in tax deductions. Um, so, for example, they, they, they argue that uh, Trump, the Trump organization, the Trump company, listed this estate they had in New York City as being worth $291 million, and that was based on, like, really questionable um, things. They, they argued that the value of the suburban uh, New York golf club was increased by millions of dollars by counting fees for memberships that weren't sold or were never paid. They, they estimated, they argued that the Trump organization valued a Park Avenue condominium tower at $350 million based on proceeds it claimed it could reap from unsold units, even though many of those units weren't likely to sell. It valued an apartment rented to Ivanka Trump as high as $25 million, even though you know she had an option to purchase it for $8.5 million. You, you get the idea. The, the investigation essentially says to get tax breaks, what they ended up doing is they grossly inflated on, on information and documents that they submitted to get loans, etc. They gross, grossly inflated the values of, of the assets that they had. In, in other words, kind of a mine run, what I would call tax tax fraud case. So the, the Trump organization and the, the members of the Trump family are claiming this is all politically motivated and that they're out to get them because of politics and things like that. Now, I guess I look at this and I think, well, okay, clearly there, there's a political component to this. I, I understand that. But tax fraud and bank fraud is tax fraud and, and bank fraud. And if you submitted documents to claim tax breaks or deductions that you weren't entitled to claim, I mean, I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I don't care if you're a former president or not. If your company did it, don't you think that you you should be held uh, accountable? 
Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, look, I, I don't know you know, the, the underlying truth of this. If you were to ask me my gut feeling, which is, do I think the Trump organization may have played, I'll use the term, fast and loose with valuations of properties and things like that to claim questionable tax breaks? I, my answer to you is is absolutely. I, I, I would not surprise me one bit. And in fairness, there's probably, you know, other large entities that do that as well. But if the question is, do I think that because he's the former president, his company should be exempt from these types of investigations? And my answer would be, would be no. And yes, do I agree that there might be an element of political motivation, you know, driving, hey, let's, let's look at, at some of this stuff. This all seems kind of questionable. Yeah, there's probably an element of political motivation that's there. But, but if, if they did it, if in fact, you know, you made inflated valuations, if you falsified documents, if you made claims that don't stand up, don't we want that investigated and don't we want it pursued? And does it matter whether it's Donald Trump or George Soros or whoever? Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my reaction to, to all this stuff, and again, this is in the news because, you know, the headlines yesterday about the New York Attorney General is saying that they believe that, the, that Trump and his company falsely valued assets. I don't know if that's true or not. But the, the, the bottom line is, if it is true, I, I, I want it investigated. Um, you know, somebody sends me a text saying, you know, you've got to be aware that this was a common practice. O- okay, th- th- that's, that's fine. But fraud is, is, is fraud. And if people are, are falsely claiming valuations, are grossly inflating things, I, I want that investigated. And if people believe that there's a civil case that's out there and, you know, that as a result of that means that, hey, you should have to pay back money that you defrauded the state of New York or the federal government or whatever. Again, I don't care whether it's Donald Trump or anybody else. I, I think it's in the interest to do that. 855-616-1620. Is this nothing but a witch hunt or is it fair to pursue the leads where where they go? And if it's determined that, Regardless of who this is, somebody is playing fast and loose and might be defrauding the taxpayers. Don't we want that to come out? 855-616-1620. We discuss. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. But I, I understand that this is another one of these topics because of the personalities involved. It's, it's just impossible in some respects to get people to think about it objectively. I understand that there are people who despise Donald Trump. You think he is the Antichrist and that anything that happens to him is deserved. There are other people, on the other hand, who think that Donald Trump can do absolutely no wrong. Now, I, I'm, I'm trying to take a much more nuanced approach, which is... Is, you know, good people do bad things, bad people do good things, and, and you have to follow the facts wherever those facts lead. Well, the big story that's out today is that the New York Attorney General, who I will concede for the sake of argument, is probably extremely politically motivated. She's saying that there's evidence that the Trump company falsely valued assets. And the argument is that they inflated the value of certain things in order to claim deductions that they weren't entitled to. 
And I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. That that's something that you end up having to, to prove. But I guess my response to this is, it, as long as it, it's at least a fair inquiry to determine if that's the case. And if this organization did, in fact, inflate the values of all sorts of things in order to, you know, get tax breaks or whatever, I, I, I want them held accountable for this. Um, 855-616-1620. Jeff, no one is above the law. It's high time the Trump family should realize that fact. Jeff, he broke the law. Definitely, he should be investigated. But what about with Congress and the inside trader and doing all the stuff and non-reporting? I think, again, that that's, that's fair. I think that one of the things that for too long we've done is perhaps look the other way when it comes to some of this stuff. And again, I don't care what your politics are. I don't care if you're a Republican. I don't care if you're a Democrat. But if you're... I don't know, committing fraud, and, and I, I don't know that that's the case, all right? And, and I understand that some of the things that strikes me that the Attorney General's office in New York is looking at is what could be described as, I don't know, commonplace business disagreements. Well, we say the thing is worth this much. You know, somebody else says it's worth that much. That's not fraud. That's just a, a legitimate business thing. And, and that's fair. So, I mean, I'm not prejudging it, but the idea that, oh, it's terrible that even being investigated, I, I don't. I don't buy into that at at all. I think it's fair to investigate these things. Jeff, don't be naive. If the Trump name wasn't attached to the charges, he wouldn't be pursued. I think it's pretty common to overvalue property to jack up loans. Well, okay, first of all, I'm, I, I'm, not, I'm not naive. I, I recognize that his profile probably has caused called attention to his business dealings that maybe it's scrutiny that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Okay, fair enough. But even if we accept that, does that change anything about the whole perspective? Um, and, and my answer to that would be, no, it it doesn't. Um, let's see. Um, Jeff, there are two types of people, ones who want to know and the ones who want to believe. Jeff, this is a witch hunt. It should be investigated, and all witches should be investigated, Republicans and Democrats. Well, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know that it's a witch hunt or not. I think what it ends up being is a situation where, okay, maybe you've got some evidence that there was fraud. Maybe there's not evidence of fraud. You follow the leads. You go where the evidence takes you, and then you ultimately decide whether or not there's civil it's a civil case, a criminal case, or no case at all. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will find out what Eric Bilstadt has on his mind for Wisconsin's Afternoon News.